He says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he goes on and he speaks about a revelation of Jesus. He says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to be my revelation as I've already written briefly. He carries on in verse 7. I've become a servant of this gospel. See, we see these big guys preaching on big stages. All they are is a servant of the gospel. I've become a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Oh no, totally lost it there. The administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent... I love this. His intent, why God did it all, His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings which are your glory. Today I'm speaking about being behind bars. So he begins this chapter, he's got this intention of praying for the church, but he just gets held back. And, and he, he unfolds this divine mystery of God's grace, but he says this incredible statement, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. If we go into that statement, there are insights there for us today. It's not a popular message necessarily. But I think it's a necessary message for us to understand and to understand the context. And I think Paul doesn't want to miss us to miss that. He doesn't make much of it because he's a humble man. He doesn't make much of it because he's not trying to advertise it. But every word in the Bible is there for us. Every dot, every bit of it is there for us. Can I say, I don't think it really was the plan. As Paul would have, he'd been pulled out of this persecutor of the Jews. He was the best at it. He was seriously good at it. He was like Mornay Stain five years ago. Sorry, that was just a little cheap shot at the Bulls. Um, and, um, but he was top class at his game. And he gets pulled out by God. He gets revealed the glory of Jesus. And he begins to preach and people begin to get saved. The Gentiles start running to this great gospel. And surely he would have at that time looked ahead and said, well, maybe I'll be on the platforms of Rome and people and thousands will gather. And he would have played this movie forward. I don't think he would have played it forward to, I will be behind bars for five years. You get that? It's like, God does all this stuff in this life. I've pulled you out of that life into what I've got for you. I've changed your name from Saul to Paul. I'm painting this big story and I'm going to put you behind bars for five years. 
He spent five years behind bars. He, there was a false accusation against him that he wasn't guilty of, but the Jews hated him because he was preaching of this Jesus. So they chased him, and they, they couldn't put, the, the, the Romans couldn't kill him because he was a Roman citizen, so they moved him around. So for two years he spent, he, he, he was incarcerated, he spent a year traveling, and then he spent two years in Caesarea. And he was under house arrest, which meant he would spend the days walking around within the house. This was not a thousand square meter house. They didn't build them like that in those days. This was a small house. He could walk from the bathroom to the lounge and back to the bathroom. He's under house arrest. At night he was chained to a Roman god so he couldn't escape. It's not quite how he would have played it out. Can I say sometimes it's not bad to play the story out. I played my life out many times. I still do it. And I think we have to do it. I think it's part of a faith journey. This wouldn't have been the story he would have played out. He spends five years behind bars. I think it's just a reminder that life doesn't always go the way we plan it. And in the midst of the prison, we are still loved. We are still adopted in the midst of the prison. He has still called us out of darkness into a great light. In the very center of that prison with the chains on, we are still the sons and daughters of the living God. I think that's why Paul puts this line in. And you often hear people get saved and it's like, flip, things were so easy before I gave my life to Jesus. You hear that? It's like businessmen, flip, before I came to Jesus, now it's hard. And it was so much easier when my girlfriend and I had no clue what we were doing. We were just living together and all sorts of things. And some of those things were good. And now it's tough. You're allowed to smile, laugh a little bit. Yes, those things are real too. It's kind of, well, why? Well, we're in a battle now. See, you got saved and salvation comes to your life. You get pulled into an army. Yes, we're the bride of Christ. Yes, we are the beloved but he also says, my bride is an army. The church is an army. You get these papers that call you to his army. You're in a battle now. And I want to call you, I want to tell you that sign up for that battle. Sign up. Your marriage needs you to be in a battle. It doesn't need you to be thinking like a civilian. We see when you walk in a battlefield thinking like a civilian, you get shot. <laughs> that struck a chord. You're in a battle. And your marriage needs you to engage in the battle, the right battle. Your life needs you. Your business people around you need you to engage and understand that you're in a battle because civilians don't win wars. And Paul understood this. He understood the dynamic. He understood the fact that God had put him in a prison, that God is in control. Here's a crazy thought, and you'll think that can't be right, but God puts him in this prison and I think his ministry, the ministry that we know now, would never have been seen or as influential as it is now if he hadn't been in that prison. You see, he was going around preaching. He had to walk all day to get somewhere, ride donkeys. If he'd kept on preaching and he'd never been incarcerated, the letters that form most of the New Testament would never have been penned down. And God places him in this prison where he's stuck to a Roman God and all he can do is write letters to the churches he loves so much. And we get this crazy picture when we look 2,000 years later, we say, imagine Duran gets stuck in prison. Sorry, Cliff. I realize that could be a hard picture for you, but let's just go with it. 
God, how can you do this? Or is the question of a son, Father, what are you doing? See, Paul wasn't guilty, but he ends up in prison. And it sounds strange to our ears, and it is strange, but it's still the truth. See, Proverbs 3 says this, Trust in the Lord. Solomon says he was a very clever dude. Like a very clever guy. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lead into, lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. You want to know which way to go for your life? 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old. You want to know which way to go? Lean into Him. Don't lean on your own understanding. Jeremiah says, O Lord, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is, in ma- it, it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So here's the question that we're going to look at today. Do you trust God in the process? Do you trust God in the jails of your life? See, regardless of where we find ourselves in life, we come to a place where we are confident of His sovereign leadership and direction. Otherwise, we'll never have peace and joy as we walk our steps. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God's in control. In every context, in every situation, I've told you that story A young girl dies. I go to the funeral. I know the family personally. I was there when it happened. And the mother gets up and says, this one thing I know. It's her whole speech. She says, I only know one thing. My God doesn't make mistakes. I want that faith. I want that conviction when the storms rage and I'm sitting in the prison and I don't understand. I want that conviction. God, you're in control. What is the story you're writing? Can I be vulnerable with you now? I don't know why I wasn't going to say it. My little boy, Ben, he started to stutter. Sorry. He's three. See, I went to a big school of boys. I saw boys who stuttered get ridiculed. I probably did it. Because before Jesus got a hold of this thing, it was a nasty thing. And now I'm sitting, and I love Jesus, and I've got a three-year-old boy who's starting to stutter. And I'm thinking, Jesus, not my boy. Not my boy. And I believe Jesus can heal, and I believe he can finish the story. But if he doesn't, and, and the prison that Ben walks through will all be for his glory, because Jesus is in control. Sorry, I don't mean to get emotional, but, but Jesus is king. He knows better than me. As a father with all my love and desire to walk my boys into every bit of opportunity they have, he has for them. Jesus is king. He can heal them in an instant or he'll walk them through life. Take them to the other side. See, God takes this situation with Paul in prison and turns it into the foundation stone for the gospel. His imprisoners, those who put him there unjustly, unjustly, they thought they'd finished the story. They thought they'd got rid of this nuisance. See, they had trained him. They had invested into Paul. 
They thought they'd got rid of him by sticking him in a jail. They didn't know that his writings would set the church up for victory. They didn't know that the foundation stones that would be put into the church that would be built would be built on the writings of the palace they created for him to write in. They didn't know. The enemy thinks he's clever. And we got all these challenges. And Paul gets it. He would have been sitting there writing. He didn't know. He didn't know that you'd be writing his books one day. He didn't know. He didn't write thinking, oh, one day at Life Changes Church, they're going to read from this book. See, in his day, there was no internet. There was no famous guys. You just preach and people listen and then they moved on to the next guy who came through town. It's like, he didn't know. But God knew. His incarceration created the space for him to make most of our Bible. And we, what are your prisons? We've got to ask the question. We all have prisons. I'm too old. I'm too young. I haven't had the opportunity. I, I, I went through and I found some of these stories. You know Vincent van Gogh? I'm sure I'm not saying it right. Van Gogh. You all know him. He sold one painting in his life. In his whole lifetime, he sold one painting. Hmm? Not for a lot. He did over 900 paintings that today are probably worth more than economies of cities. But in his life, he sold one painting. What about some others? Let's jump around a bit. Walt Disney, you all know him. He got fired from his first job for having no imagination. He had ADHD, attention deficit disorder. What about Charlize, the pride of South Africa's acting? Let's go there. Charlize witnessed her mother kill her father at 15 years old. I'm talking about people who didn't necessarily, I don't know if Charlize knows Jesus. But these are people who still overcame their prisons. I'm just using them to inspire us, to call us to more. You've heard of Bethany Hamilton, the 13-year-old surfer whose arm was eaten off by a shark. One month later, she was back in the surf. Today, she's a professional surfer, winning contests with one arm. Stevie Wonder, dancing on the ceiling? No, Lana Ritchie. Sorry. It's been a tough day. I need sleep. Sleep, come upon me now, please. But Stevie Wonder became blind shortly after he was born. He signed with, signed with Motown Records at the age of 11. He's received 22 Grammy Awards, the most ever of a male solo artist. Ranks number five of the all-time greats. Why am I telling you stories? Because these could have been prisons. Blindness can be a prison. If you let it, if your perspective is such that this is my prison. Helen Keller, you know the story, 19 months old, became blind. She learned to hear people by reading their lips with her hands. She learned to read using Braille. She learned to speak and spent much of her life giving speeches and lectures later. And she spoke like this. I'm not dishonoring, I'm telling you. Her prison, her very thing that the enemy put in her life to limit her, was the very thing that gave her a voice to the world. Vilma, not this Vilma, Vilma Rudolph, 
Weighed a mere four, pound, four and a half pounds when she was born prematurely. At the age of four, she contracted polio, forcing her to wear leg braces for five years and orthopedic shoes for two years after that. Not exactly the story you think that would set up one of the greatest athletes this world's ever known to win five medals at the Olympic Games as a sprinter. I don't know why... See, I think Paul had this understanding that he, he lived under the sovereign hand of God. I think he knew it. I think he was sitting in that jail going, I'm chained to this Roman. He didn't go, oh, woe is me. He sat down to my brothers, to the saints, to those I love. Carry on, carry on. And he didn't know that today we would write that carry on and feel the courage of the living God come inside of us. Feel the power of the gospel get inside of us. He didn't know that. See, perspective is everything. And how you view the events of your life is more important than the events themselves. It's just way, way more important. 70 years, like 15 minutes in the economy. What are you going to do with your minutes? See, we're taught by the Bible to walk by faith and not by sight. See, our eyes are the greatest liars we have in our life. The greatest liars. We are taught that God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. Do you believe it? He works all things. All, meaning all. All things. Who is your warden today? See, Paul says, he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Romans. I'm a prisoner of these Jews because of these Jews. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. No other has control of my life. No other can direct what my life will be determined by. He saw himself under the direct sovereign hand of God. That Jesus is the master of all paths in life. He doesn't say, I was a prisoner of the Romans. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. See, if we're a prisoner of our circumstance, I think we're going to end up miserable. I just have to say, it's like, we all got different circumstances. We all got different backgrounds. Some of us had parents. Some of us didn't. Some of us have had loving husbands and some haven't. Had a, they've had abusive husbands. I know that. But I know Jesus who met Gary on Pickering Street and he allowed God to break in his life. The best way to shift our perspective is get back to the presence of God. See, our lives are not the product of chance, luck, karma, or accident. They are a product of a sovereign God. In Him, we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, us, who were the first to put our hope into Christ Jesus, might be for the praise of His glory. Psalm in 135 says, The Lord does whatever pleases Him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and in the depths. See, here's my conclusion. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. When I'm at the top of a mountain or the bottom of a valley, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He is in control. And He holds the keys to life. See, Jesus, and I'll finish with this as our example. He leaves heaven 
And I don't know how much study you've done of heaven, but I think it's a pretty awesome place. I'm so looking forward to it. There is no sickness. We will jabula all day with the angels. It will be party time. A greater party than this world has ever known. And all day we'll just worship and praise. I don't know about you, I love praise and worship. Before I led a church, before I was involved in leadership, I used to stand in the front because I was so loud, people would turn around to look at me, so I thought I'd rather shout at the wall because I'd just have a bit of volume going on. But heaven is a pretty awesome place. Jesus chooses to leave heaven. He says, Father, send me into the prison of my creation, a human body, into the prison of skin and bones, into the prison of that. Jesus chooses prison for us. With all the limitations, all the emotions. He chooses a womb to put himself inside for us. He says, oh, he could have easily tried to shake it up and said, oh, dad, are these humans really worth it? Can't we just start again? Let's just blot them out like one of those big movies we're going to produce one day. And just start again, maybe with bigger ones, maybe with guys with like two noses so they can smell better. <laughs> We're on Kalula Elams. The hostess comes on and says, if you can't find the toilet, follow your nose. <laughs> just to make it lighter. But Jesus chooses a prison for us. This body was a prison to him. He chooses that prison. Why? For you and me. And Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you, the Gentiles. Maybe your prison isn't for you. Maybe it's for someone else. I'll be honest with you. A couple of years ago, ministry and the life of a pastor looked like a prison to me. <laughs> Sitting in corporate offices, flying around. Ministry looked like a prison to me. Sometimes my study feels like a prison. Late on Saturday nights, early on Sundays, I sit and I hear a car come by and I think maybe it's Keith and Sharon, so I'll just open the window maybe I can say hello and talk to someone. Because I'm a sociable person. I love people. I love closing deals. I love being involved in things. I love activity. I love deadlines. Of, I love that stuff. And God says, no boy, I've got something else for you. I want you to spend five hours reading the Bible. And I go, ha! You've got the wrong guy. You put energy in me. You told me to make it happen. Now I'm going to put you in a very small three by two metered room. You're going to sit there and you're going to read John Piper. I love John Piper, but he doesn't hold me on the edge of the seat all day. Reading doesn't hold me. Just being honest. But I go up to conferences like The Call, and I see friends I've walked with for many years, and I tell them about some of your stories. I tell them about what God has done. In this city. And it all's worth it. Tell them about your marriages. Tell them about some of the low points, how God got you through. And it's all worth it. It's all worth it. 
And I think Paul, sitting in his chains, looks back now, sitting with the Father and says, God, you're clever. You're just clever. You put me, I, I would have thought you would have put me on the top of the highest building and let me preach. But you stuck me in a small prison. Chained to a prison, God. The call of God. It's going to look different for all of us. Living the gospel life is a triumphalistic life. But if we're looking with natural eyes, we're going to miss it. And if we're looking with, with walls up, I'll go there, but I won't go there. I'll do this, but I won't go this. I think we're going to miss it. We can't expect others to see it. I'm sure Paul's friends, when he was this zealous persecutor of the Jews, would have thought, you're nuts to now become one of them. He says, well, you know what they do to them. You know what we do to them. Sometimes our greatest victories come from our lowest points. It's not the gospel we like to preach. It's probably not going to sell too many shows on TBN. But it's the gospel. It's Jesus. Can I pray for us? Just a... Father, I thank you for this amazing story of your gospel. Thank you that you're still writing it, God. I thank you that... Acts ends on chapter 28, but you're using us to write Acts 29, God. Acts 30, Acts 31, Acts chapter 32. Thank you that you're writing that story through our marriages. I pray for those right now in this room whose marriage feels like a prison right now. There's not a lot of joy. I pray, God, write a new story, reveal what you are doing, and bring life to that marriage today. Bring down the prison bars, God, I pray. I pray for those who are in a workplace, and they're living with a conviction that they're in the right place, but they can't see it. I pray, God, give us spiritual eyes to see what you are doing with our lives, God. That you place us in times and spaces for such a time as this. And you are just an amazingly clever God. Thank you for grace that washes and washes and washes and cleans and equips and establishes. Thank you for the story of Paul writing letters in a prison cell today that we live in freedom. Just can we keep our eyes closed for a second maybe? Well, he's just got something to share. I believe as markers powerfully preached and given us a picture of what Jesus wants to do, there's a verse of scripture in Psalm 68, verse 6. It says, He sets the lonely in families and leads forth the prisoners with singing. Yeah. And I believe that whatever prison you might be in, I believe praise is one of the keys to get out of it. Yeah. It's praising who he is, not complaining about your situation or your confinement. But when you praise a God who cannot be confined, who cannot be limited, who cannot be bound or constrained in any way, and you begin to lift your voice and heart to him, 
who's enthroned above all else, you'll find the freedom and those spacious places. Mm. And I believe there's a freedom song, a freedom song that the Lord wants to give to people this morning, a liberation song. Nations around the world have liberation songs. And we as a church have freedom songs, liberation songs that I believe the Lord wants to give you that will help you to live in those spacious places. I want to read it again. He leads forth prisoners with singing. We're going to take a moment. Can, can Before we worship, we're just going to sing How Great Is Our God, just that anthem chorus for a moment. Because maybe you don't have the strength to sing in whatever prison you're in now. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's mourning. But sometimes the prayers and the worship of the person next to us can carry us. So we're going to sing our great as our God. But before we do that, if you are here and you're saying, Mark, I don't know this Jesus you speak of. I haven't received that love. I'd love to pray for you quickly. I'd love to stop it all to pray for you and to say, Jesus, come in. Is there anyone like that? Why don't you just lift your hand and show me? Love to pray for you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? There's one hand. Amazing. Amazing. Jesus, I thank you for these amazing people now. I pray your grace abound. I thank you that today you wash them clean, Lord. Thank you that today every stain is lifted. Thank you today is a new day of new life. And you breathe your life. And I pray today, let your love wash over. Let your grace wash over and establish your daughters and your son in your love today. You're writing a new story, God. And we give you glory today, King. Thank you, God.